to C3 Church Hepburn Heights. We believe Jesus Christ gives life to the full and we are called to live it and share it. We pray you enjoy this message today. I have a Christmas tale to read you. In my comfy Christmas tale chair. Santa's not coming, by the way, back row. If you're wondering, that's what this was for. Not that, no. No Santa this morning. I have a tale to read you. So lean on in and get ready as I read this this morning. On this bright and sunny Sunday morning, let me tell you a tale. A tale of simplicity, a tale of reality, a tale of experience, all painted with a Christmas brush. Chapter one. It is a tale that begins a little while ago, October 4th to be precise, and as this family had become accustomed to, they were set for a day of adventures. This family, some of you know quite well, a family of five who were spending their days and nights in an adventure of international proportions that had been 10 years in the making. They had seen and tasted and heard some wonderful things, some strange things, and the occasional troubling thing on their adventure just thus far. And on this day, like many others before it, they were set to be driven by another to their day's destination. Clean and fed and dressed and ready, the car that was to take them had arrived. And like they had numerous times before, they delicately peered in the window to see who would be driving them today. But before they could get a good look at him, he was out of the car and padding his way towards them, that small family group standing roadside. Shoes. His shoes were what first caught the eye of the middle one. Shiny, shiny shoes, black, snakeskin-like, with those little superfluous tassels hanging in the middle. And as the middle one's eyes moved further up his person, she was struck by the whiteness of his pants and the crisp, dense pleat in the perfect centre. Without even the hint of a smile, he thrust his hand out. Germain, well, as we'll call him, says, Are you ready? It was only at this point the family noticed the car before them. It was as shiny and as black as Germaine's shoes. Germaine was already then in and seated, and having pressed one of the many visible buttons, the doors seamlessly and beautifully slid open. The first thing the eldest one then saw was the pristine and foreboding black interior. It's all black, she squeaked. It's all clean, said the mother. Feeling like they were stepping into a movie, all five of them moved precariously into Jermaine's car. Immediately, they felt the need to sit perfectly straight with their shoulders back, and it felt a little hard to breathe. Because let me be clear about something here. This family of five is perfectly ordinary. A family made up of three muddily, bumbling children, 
two of whom were on the cusp of teenagehood and one who was an especially normal eight-year-old boy. And then there was two parents who were doing their very best. Well, most days at least. And they were, for the most part, three well-behaved and likeable children, but they were children nonetheless. And children not so accustomed to travelling in strangers' immaculate cars that they later learnt were worth at least $60,000. And so the journey began. The journey, the family soon learnt, was a good 40 minutes drive. 40 minutes of shallow breathing and sitting perfectly still and silence, as they soon realised, was Jermaine's preferred noise unless it was the sound of his own voice or the purr of his prized engine. But more on that in a minute. It only took a few moments to be on the open highway and for Jermaine to press firmly on the accelerator and drive at a speed that this family was unaccustomed to. And with that, the commentary began too. Not entirely directed at anyone, but more at a general audience who would listen. I'm a music producer, says Jermaine. My car is important for my image, you know. It's all about the hustle. Whilst keeping to this spectacular speed, Jermaine fiddled with his phone to find a particular song and the thudding beat began with the occasional expletive. This is my work. Swift lane changes. This car is beautiful. I needed to spend this sort of money because I needed to, you get me? Hey, are you playing with something back there? Mother turns around and glares at the youngest who is sitting behind her and gives him the very wide eyes reserved for such occasions as this. The youngest furiously points at the roll-up blind, gently banging on the window. The youngest holds it with his hand in a rather panicked motion. Sorry, Mother directs at Jermaine, as she wishes the trip would be over. But then again, they are going clearly fast enough and she didn't want them to speed up in any way. Before long, they have turned off the highway and are pulled up at a set of traffic lights. And as the next red light comes, the car next to them gives wide eyes out their window. And Jermaine, clearly thrilled, faces forward with a confident but measured smile. And so, for the remainder of the journey, the car speeds whenever it has opportunity to do so. And there is lots of talk of money and status and image and fame and hustle, although the five of them in the car aren't altogether sure what that word actually means. It is a long and uncomfortable trip. Clearly not because of the plush seats, the perfect air conditioner temperature, the gently scented interior, of course none of those things. It's uncomfortable because none of the three children feel that they can move a muscle and because mother certainly doesn't want them to move a muscle and because father, who is up front with Jermaine, is entirely tired of hustle talk and well aware that the rest of his family behind him are sitting like statues. Upon finally reaching their destination, Jermaine spends some time finding an appropriate parking spot. And by appropriate, 
that means that one that is completely undercover and not near any other vehicle so as to avoid any sort of damage to his very shiny vehicle. And no sooner upon pulling up, a woman sitting in a car close by gets out and starts moving around shiny Jermaine's shiny car and wolf whistling. She's a beauty, the stranger says. Yes, yes she is, says shiny shoe Jermaine. Around this point, the family begins their subtle departure. Carefully and delicately getting out of the car, they form a small, quiet clump. And father goes over to Jermaine, now deep in conversation with the stranger, and says, thank you. Without looking up, Jermaine makes a small, wave-like hand gesture. And then father turns towards his family as they make their way to the destination's entrance. And when firmly out of earshot, middle child says with pleading eyes, can we please not ever go with him again? Chapter 2. Fifteen days later, at an entirely different location, the same family is set out for another day's adventure. Today they are set for one of those truly remarkable days, the ones that are remembered and cherished for a lifetime. And because of this, the children are a little more bouncy and noisy than usual as they wait roadside. And it is only at this point that mother notices there is a rather lot of floral residue on the bitumen from a large and cascading tree above. And still, with the Germain Day prominent in her mind, mother instructs each child to move onto the grass and swiftly wipe their feet so as not to have anything afoot which may be inadvertently transferred to the car. And then she pulls up. She who bustles out of the car with a beaming smile, wearing a floral shirt and a pushback comb in her hair and shimmery, copper-toned lipstick. Hi, I'm Joan, as we'll call this one, she says. And she shoves out her hand enthusiastically to each of them in turn, all the while smiling large and wide and bright. Come in, kids. I bet you're in for the best day ever, aren't you? And so they jump on in, literally, to Joan's unassuming, modest car. And it smells like peanuts. Right, now, says beaming Joan, let's buckle up, hey kids. Good, now there's a couple of things I want you to know about my car, she begins. Youngest boy, sideways glances, remembering shiny shoe Jermaine and his banging blind. See right there? Those peanuts? Help yourself, as many as you want. And don't worry about the packets or the mess. I'm used to mess. I have six grandkids. And little fella, see that box in between you? The youngest turns his attention to the blue plastic box between him and mother. That's plugged in. And it's got plenty of cold water inside, Joan says. And sure enough, the youngest opens it to discover it is a small portable fridge filled to the brim with bottles of cold water. And promptly, because of course he would, he grabs one out. 
And then, once Joan, having checked again, the entire family is safe and secure, pulls slowly away. I just love doing this, she exclaims. Father asks her why. Well, she says, I no longer work. I'm retired now, but I found myself getting a little bored and lonely at home, and and so I started driving because I just love people. And Peanuts Jones proceeds to chatter away about all manner of things, regularly turning around to ask the younger ones questions and doing the same for mother and father. And in the background plays country and western tunes that the family have never heard. And she gives lots of helpful tips and insights regarding the day that they have planned. And they all learn pretty quickly that Joan has frequented this place many a times with many of her grandies in tow. And she loves it as much as she hopes this family does too. And within what feels like a few moments, they are already at their destination. And Joan gently pulls up in the best spot she can find to make their final walk easy and simple. What a pleasure it has been to drive you today, says Beaming Peanuts Joan. Did you guys want to take any more snacks with you? The youngest fills his pockets because that's what the youngest does. And before they know it, Joan is pulling away while smiling and waving out the window. And all five of them stand there feeling a little in between. We won't see her again, will we? The middle one asks. No, we won't, says mother. And they all feel as if they have lost a friend who they only knew for 20 minutes. Epilogue. The story of Germaine and Joan is a true story with a fitting amount of literary flourish to emphasise a couple of key thoughts, just like all good tales should. See, this is essentially a tale brushed with Christmas sentiments, nothing new, mind you, but ones that are good to be reminded of again admits this Christmas bustle. We live in a world, a country, a city immersed in the new and the shiny and the self. And like shiny Germain's shininess, this can be seen through. It is a shininess that is neither long-lasting or truly appealing It is a shininess that actually tastes unpleasant in our mouth. It's a shininess that shouts itself from the rooftops and that always has itself on its mind. And whilst this shininess may be the popular, the beautiful, the fastest, the nicest, the most expensive, it is certainly the shininess that advise for our attention the most especially at these times of year. But like shiny shoe Germain, these sorts of shiny experiences, these moments, these sorts of shiny people can actually leave us feeling hollow and icky, like an itchy, ill-fitting woolen jumper in the heat of the Australian summer. 
But then we have Joan. Ordinary peanuts Joan, who is a little bit bumbly and perfectly ordinary and not actually very shiny at all, but who actually shines bright. Shines because of her interest of others. Shines in her everydayness, in her care, in her simplicity, in her authenticity, in her love. Joan had others on her mind and leaned in with interest to those around her, all the while singing a song of kindness and generosity in all she did. And this was as attractive and compelling to this family, like the coolest of ice drinks on a scorching boxing day. And so it is these thoughts that we can be reminded of in such Christmas tales. Others-focused love. A kind love. A generous love. A love that is compelling. Christmas is an opportunity for us to be more like the Jones of this world rather than the Germains. It's an opportunity for us to take hold of all our bumbling, everyday ordinariness and be kind and generous and authentic. It's an opportunity to speak love, to show love, be the arms and legs of love, the peanuts of love, amidst the hype, the commercialism, the chaos, the overeating, the flashy, the shininess of Christmas, because it is this sort of love that the scriptures speak of. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 in the, in the Passion Version describes this love like this. Love is large and incredibly patient. Love is gentle and consistently kind to all. It refuses to be jealous when blessing comes to someone else. Love does not brag about one's achievements nor inflate its own importance. Love does not traffic in shame and disrespect nor selfishly seek its own honour. Love is not easily irritated or quick to take offence. Love joyfully celebrates honesty and finds no delight in what is wrong. Love is a safe place of shelter for it never stops believing the best of others. Love never takes failure as defeat for it never gives up. But we know this tale this morning isn't a tale about Jermaine or even actually Joan. The underpinning, all-important, central character here is Jesus. This is his tale, his Christmas story, because he is the most profound example of love. Christmas is about Jesus, because Jesus is love. And if we read that scripture again, but actually insert his name to encapsulate all he is, the result is remarkable. Jesus is large and incredibly patient. Jesus is gentle and consistently kind to all. 
Jesus refuses to be jealous when blessing comes to someone else. Jesus does not brag about his own achievements nor inflate his own importance. Jesus does not traffic in shame and disrespect nor selfishly seek his own honour. Jesus is not easily irritated or quick to take offence. Jesus joyfully celebrates honesty, finds no delight in doing what is wrong. Jesus is a safe place of shelter. For he never stops believing the best of others. Jesus never takes failure as defeat, for he never gives up. So let's, this Christmas season, create these moments. These moments of love, just like Peanuts Joan did. In the conversation with the bedraggled checkout chick, the overworked retail manager the post office clerk, the complicated auntie, the cantankerous grandparent. Let's be that large, patient, gentle, kind, others-focused Jesus love because those are the hallmarks at the centre of this great tale, this great Jesus, our tales. Let's love like Jesus this Christmas. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us here on our podcast. We encourage you to let this word further help you live and share the life to the full that Jesus gives. If you want to check out more about our upcoming events, service times, locations, or to give online, go to c3hh.com.au.